This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, once again, we're about to enjoy another episode of Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy. I find the writing in this series top-notch, and Frank Lovejoy has a wonderful, sincere delivery that makes the listener believe every line he's uttering. Now, that's no mean feat. Nightbeat aired on NBC from February 6th of 1950 to September 25th of 52, and was sponsored by Paps Blue Ribbon Beer and Wheaties. For those who may be new listeners to Theater of the Mind, perhaps a bit of background to the series is in order here. Frank Lovejoy starred as Randy Stone, a reporter who covered the night beat for the Chicago Star, encountering criminals and troubled souls. Listeners were invited to join Stone as he searches through the city for strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. He met an assortment of people most of them with a problem, many of them scared, and sometimes he was able to help them, sometimes he wasn't. It's generally regarded as a quality show, and it stands up extremely well. Frank Lovejoy, whose portrayal of Randy Stone as a tough guy with humanity, was perfect. There was a good supporting cast, too. The orchestra and sound effects were top-notch as well. Hey, let's go back to September 11th of 1952 for the episode of Nightbeat entitled Larry the Understudy. Frank Lovejoy in Night Beat. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the Night Beat for the Chicago Star. Mostly I write about people, a great commodity, all kinds of people, tall, short, honest, crooked, hopeful, and hopeless. You stand on the corner of State and Lake at noon and they rush by you like an unchecked avalanche. You buy a ticket at Soldier's Field and you see them again, a faceless, nameless mass of humanity, shouting, shoving, pushing. They all look alike when you see them that way, in the aggregate. But take them one at a time. Watch them when they're worried or scared. Listen to them when they brag or weep. Listen well, don't jump to conclusions, and maybe you get yourself a story. That's my job. It was a brutal hot night. It was too hot to hang around the city room, but the street wasn't any better. The air stood still, and so did my mind. I was as devoid of inspiration on what to tell my alleged readers as I was on ideas on how to keep cool. The seer sucker suit I'd bought in the hopes it would give me a Princeton air only made me look like a wilted bookkeeper. I stood on the corner in front of the paper to take off my coat when a voice called from a parked car. Hey, Stone, get in the car. Thank you for a little ride. Hmm? 
I turned around, and the voice came from the back seat of a conservative job, a robin's egg blue limousine, and it belonged to Mushy Sindel. A dapper little hood who muscled into crime between repeal and keep over. I wouldn't say he's the most powerful racketeer in Chicago, but when he calls for you personally, well, it's not considered polite to refuse. So I got in and the car nosed its bulk into traffic. How do you like my new car, Randy? Real George. Hey, it's cool in here. Naturally. You think I'm going to sweat my brains out? <laughs> How'd you get it so cool, Mushy? Refrigeration. With a humidity like it is, I said you got to use refrigeration. Got to be careful with refrigeration. You know, too much, you catch cold. You see the schedule over here? What do you think? Thermostat. I even control the temperature. Hey, that's terrific. You're darn right. Nothing but the best. You got the dough, you can buy anything. If it's hot, you cool it off. If it's cold, you heat it up. If you like something, you buy it. If you don't, you pay to get rid of it. <laughs> Simple as that. Money talks. With you, it yells murder. <laughs> You're a kidder, Randy. A real kidder. You come a long way, Mushy. In the old days, bulletproof cars. Now, heatproof. <laughs> With me, same difference. I'm a pretty good kid of myself, huh? Well, that depends. Where are you taking me? I gather you didn't pick me up just to cool me off. I hope. Ah, you're smart, Randy. Get right to the point. That's what I like about you. Yeah, you're cute, too. Where are we going? I'm going to give you the break of your life, kid. I'm going to let you scoop every paper in town. Oh? You going to let the government look into your safety deposit box? <laughs> you're right. A real right. Yeah. <laughs> And I've enjoyed the ride, and I'm all cooled off now, and I've got a living to make, so if you all have handsome up there in the front seat stuff, this armored icebox, I'll dig up a story. Relax, Stone. Relax. It's all taken care of. I got you a story. Now, we'll get out here. Here? This is the old Empress Theater. So what? Now, don't tell me that you're making book in the lobby. You know it ain't legal to make book anymore. Yeah, I know. I just wondered if you knew. Look, Randy, I laughed at your bum jokes, but this crack ain't funny. It ain't, ain't even friendly, see? I see. Okay, then. We'll go inside. The Empress Theater had been dark for months, and judging from the deserted lobby, as I followed Mushy, it was still dark. But as we got inside, I discovered there was a rehearsal going on. The pit was full of musicians. The electricians were experimenting with lighting effects. And on the stage, no less than 50 dancers were doing a chorus number. Mushy sat down in the aisle about midway in the house, and since it was cool there, so did I. Watch those kids dance, eh? I bought me the best dancers in Chicago. You see those guys in the pit? Real long hair musicians playing a winner for those uh, symphony things, you know? <laughs> like I told you, money can buy anything. Mushy, are you bankrolling this show? So what's wrong with that? Baby's got talent. You wanted a doll on a vine because she ain't got a showcase for it? Baby? The doll. Shh, shh, wait a minute. Here's our piece. Wait till you see her. Wait till you see the clashes. This is going to open your eyes. In one way, Mushy was right in his appraisal of Baby's talent. When she was on the stage, you weren't likely to close your eyes. She was a big girl, very blonde, and poured into a more off-than-on practice costume. She couldn't dance, that's for sure, but I'll give her this. She was willing to please. Baby didn't need a showcase for her talent. 
Baby needed a runway. That's wonderful. Wonderful, sweetie. Wonderful. <laughs> well, Ronnie, now you've seen her. What do you think? Huh? Oh, that's uh, quite a girl. <laughs> then I tell you, then I tell you. Where's the story you brought me in to get? Baby. Baby's a story. You're going to plug in your newspaper, see? Everybody in Chicago is going to know about her. When we open next month, she's going to be a smash, and then we go on to New York. Wait a minute, Mushy. Know? Mushy, hold it. I don't do that kind of thing. You want George Davis. He handles the drama page. Him, I don't know. You, I do. What do you want? What do you want, huh? How much? Name your price. Well, I'm flattered, Mushy, but... You can't be bought, huh? Now, don't give me that. Everybody's got a price. Well, come on, come on. Name your price. Well, you shut up up there. I'm trying to talk. Hey, Joe. Go on with a rehearsal, huh? Yes, what do you mean you can't? You're the stage manager, ain't you? What do you think I pay you for? I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Sindel, but we've done everything we can without Mr. Jerome. Jerome? You mean he didn't show up for rehearsal? Oh, he showed up. They poured him out of a taxi. Sleeping now in the dressing room. So I wake him up. Do I have to think of everything? Got a bum on the stage. Oh, I, I'm afraid we can't. He he won't see light of day till tomorrow. Oh, no. Why it'll mushy Sindel get through with him? Mushy charged up toward the dressing rooms, followed by a nervous stage manager, followed by me. I was curious to see him buy his way out of this situation, but he didn't get beyond the stairs to the stage. He was stopped there by one of the chorus boys. Please, Mr. Sindel, I know the dance... Out of my way, get out of my way. But I'm Mr. Jerome's understudy. I know all the routines, all the numbers. If you'd only let me do it just this once, just for tonight. Well, understudy, huh? You can do all the numbers, all the routines? You bet I can. You can, huh? All right, then what are we waiting for? Hey, Joe! Oh, no, you don't, Mike. Oh, now, baby. I'm not going to dance with no amateur. I'm tired. I want to go home. My feet hurt. Now, baby, don't forget. We're opening in a month. We got to be good. We got to mm. practice. If this kid can dance with you, it'll be one more rehearsal. You'll be that much better, you see? You don't want that bum Jerome to steal all the notices, do you? Oh, Mike. Now, go on, yeah. baby. Dance with a kid, will you? What do you got to lose? Thank you, Mr. Sindel. You don't know what you've done for me. Not to mention what he's doing to me. <laughs> The orchestra hit it and the lights dimmed. As they came up again, Baby and the understudy were discovered on stage, curled up on a big native drum. They went into the number. It was painful to watch. Baby was way out of her class. She was way out of her class because the boy was great. How great, I didn't realize until he did another number and another and finally a solo. It was a blues number, low down and melancholy. And it could have been just that, just the dance routine, but he made it more, much more. He made it into a lament for a lost people. And yet, in it you could feel promise and hope. I'm not one to go wild for terpsichore, but the way this boy danced, he made it something intangibly sensitive, yet he gave it guts and virility. He could have made a stevedore understand what he was trying to say. Yes, and even Mushy Sindel. Mushy was watching the boy with a look on his face I'd only seen him wear when one of his nags was out in front. When the last bar was finished... And it was a spontaneous thing. Performers, stagehands, the most hard-boiled audience in the world applauding and cheering. Yes, sir, a real success story. The boy took a bow and he was grinning from ear to ear and then he ran into the wing. Oh, what do you think, Ronnie, huh? 
What do you think? Oh, he's got it, Mushy. I'm going to make a star out of that kid. Why, he'll be the biggest thing on Broadway in the movies. I'll make him so famous he'll even be driving a car like mine. Hey, Joe! Hey, Joe! Where's that stage manager? You can never find anybody. Joe! Here I am, Mr. Sindel. Uh, hey, Joe, come here, come here. Get that kid. I want to sign him up. Exclusive contract. Oh, I'm afraid you can't. What do you mean you can't? We'll dump Jerome. We'll start a kid in his place. But you can't. Who do you think you're talking to? I can do anything. So Jerome makes a stink. I bought off his contract. I want that kid. I don't care what it costs, what we got to do. I want the kid. Now bring him in here. But that, that's what I've been trying to tell you. He's gone. What? He quit. What are you talking about? He can't quit. But he did. Two weeks ago, I gave him his notice. Tonight was his last night. Well, why didn't you tell me before? Well, I didn't think it was important. It was just a chorus. And you let him get away. Why, you stupid, idiotic, crazy, no-good numbskull. I decided not to wait for the bloodshed. I walked across the stage and was on my way to the stage door exit when Baby intercepted me. Look, you. Oh, me? Yeah. Don't go making like a lost and found, huh? Don't get any ideas about bringing that kid back here. He's gone. He's happy. I'm happy. Just leave it late. Oh? You didn't like his dancing? You kidding? He was terrific and you know it. Oh, I see. It's the competition that bothers you. Look, newsboy. With Jerome, this turkey will be stuffed. But with that kid, she'll be a hit. And that means... That means I gotta sweat in the spotlight every night and soak my feet when the show's over and watch my weight. Is that better way to live? I don't get it. Mushy said that he was... Putting on the show for you. Oh, that mush. He don't have any brains. He thinks I belong in show business. But believe me, I've had my fill of show business enough to hear. I've done my time. Five a day. Now all I want to do is relax. and I want to get fat. And I want to wear my mink coat and cook for mushy. Maybe that little jerk will marry me. So, so don't go bringing that kid back here, okay? <laughs> it's okay with me. But you better check with mushy. <laughs> It was an interesting slant on the theater. A gangster bankrolling a show for a girl who didn't want a career. But if I knew Mushy, she'd have her career no matter what it cost. And it was even money he'd have the understudy signature in a contract before the night was out. It was a newsworthy little item, but strictly for the drama page, and I still had a story to find. So I waved goodbye to Mushy. I walked out the stage door into the alley where the stage manager was cooling off after his bout with Mushy. Who's he yelling at now? Ah, uh, the uh, orchestra leader. You know, this is the last time, believe me, that I'll ever manage a show for anybody like him. That ignorant, illiterate, oh, old Oh, he's all right. He's all right. He'll calm down when the kid comes back. How did I know a thing like this would happen? Why? I'd never have accepted his notice. Love to see that kid's face when he finds out they want him to replace the star. Oh, he knows. He knows? Yeah, that's what burns me. The doorman tells me that he stood right there in the wings and heard the whole thing. You heard Sindel say that he'd make him a star. And then he just walks off and leaves me holding the bag. Who is this boy? Oh, just a hoofer, a nobody. Name's Larry Wilson. Why, he hadn't worked in months until I gave him a job. But didn't he say why he was quitting? Didn't he uh, say anything? Well, not to me, he didn't. Saved his exit line for the doorman. What did he say to the doorman? Well, I'll give it to you verbatim. Not that it makes any sense. He said, and I quote, Just think, Pop, I could have been a star. Could have been? Verbatim. Could have been. NBC is bringing you Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. This coming Monday, 
thousands of children will be going back to school. Four times a day, these children will be walking to and from school. You are urged to be careful, to be watchful, to be safe. Statistics show that in one year's time, 61,000 children were killed or injured by motor vehicles. Watch for children darting out from that blind spot between parked cars. Watch for them as they get on and off school buses. Watch for children playing on the sidewalk and crossing the streets going to and from school. Remember this slogan, a child may dare. Drive with care. And now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. What started off to be the cliche of the understudy had twisted its way into my line of fire. My curiosity was aroused, to say the least. What was Larry Wilson like and why had he quit? It was easy to find out where he lived. The doorman had his address along with the names and addresses of all the kids in the chorus. It was a theatrical boarding house on Gordon Street. A tired, mildewed-looking place with a landlady to match. Her name was Mrs. Dick. If you've come about a room, I got one, but it ain't ready yet. I'm not looking for a room. I'm looking for one of your rumors. Oh, oh, you some money, huh? Well, take it from me. It won't do you much good to done them, any of them. They're show people. Well, I just want to talk to one of them, a boy by the name of Larry Wilson. Oh, that one. A real creep. Take it from me. Oh? In what way? Keeps his room clean. I go in there, there's never anything lying around. Clean like a tomb. Dancing. What sort of a job is that for a man? Dancing. Well, this is all a very interesting character analysis, but I'd like to talk to Mr. Wilson if you'll call him. You're too late. He's gone. He's gone? When he come back here tonight after the rehearsal, all flushed and excited, he danced up the stairs, mind you, whistling. If the world wasn't gone to pieces and people didn't have trouble all over. I told the people in this house are like a quiet, respectable place. I think there were a cage full of monkeys, the way these show people carry on. Yeah, about Mr. Wilson. What about him? He's gone. Well, where'd he go? Well, how would I know? I'm the last one who knows what's going on in my own house. I've been like a mother to these kids. I took care of them, fed them when they had the money to pay. And when they get a break, they just walk out on me. I said to him, I don't suppose we'll be hearing from you now that you've got your break. And he said, I won't forget you, Mrs. Diggs. Bless you, Mrs. Diggs. That way he's got. What way? Oh, humble, I guess you'd call it. Well, he's got that humble act down pat. <laughs> if I may make an observation, you don't seem to like Larry Wilson. What good does it do to like any of them? You wait on them hand and foot, and when they get a break, they move out on you. You keep talking about Larry getting a break. You mean the show he's been rehearsing with? Oh, not that, no. Well, that ain't good enough for him, apparently. He's leaving town, probably going to Hollywood. Oh, he told me about him offering the lead tonight. Oh, take it from me. You can't believe these show people when they shoot off their mouths. Well, you take it from me, it's on the level. They offered him the lead, and he turned it down. See? What'd I tell you? Got something better up his sleeve. He's going someplace grand to live where it'll cost him a lot more than here. And after I treated him like a mother. But do you have any possible idea where I could find him? Well, you might ask her. Her? Dan Dugan. He was always lollygagging around after him. Well, where does Jan Dugan live? Well, she lives here, like all the rest of the unemployed actors in town. Oh, well, would you call her, please? I can't. She's not home. She don't get home till after 11. Well, do you know where I could find her? Sure, she's on the corner. It's a ham and egg. She slings hash there. Something no decent girl would have done in my day. Take it from me. 
Yeah, I uh, take it you've been a mother to Miss Dugan, too. How do you mean that? Well, if I tried to be explicit, I'm afraid you'd be insulted. Well. The mother of Chicago's unemployed thespian slammed the door in my face. The mother vulture, that is. I walked out of the corner where the white enameled ham and egg gleamed in the shabby neighborhood like an elk's tooth on a dark vest. It was five minutes of eleven. There weren't many customers in the place. A dark-haired waitress was pinning on the cap and apron that was starched as stiff as celluloid, while a fragile blonde, about to go off duty, gave her a rundown on who had been served and who hadn't. I sat on a stool. The brunette waitress started to serve me. I uh, know the blonde young lady, please. But I'm going off duty, sir. Is your name Jan Dugan? Yes. I'd like to talk to you, if I could, about Larry Wilson. Larry? What about Larry? Well, my name is Randy Stone. I'm with the Chicago Star. He's hurt. Something's happened to him. Has he had an accident? Is that it? Oh, no, no, no. It's nothing like that. I oh. I just want to ask you some general questions about him. I'm a friend of Larry's. Oh, all right. If you'll wait for me out on the sidewalk, I'll be right out, Mr. Stone. I sat on the fire hydrant in front and waited for her. It's funny, I'd only exchanged a few words with her, but instinctively I felt this girl who was swinging hash because the theater hadn't found a place for her would one day be a great actress. Not because she was theatrical, she wasn't. She was plain, simple, and unaffected. She looked you right in the eye when she talked to you, and you could see it shining there, back of her eyes. Sincerity and depth. I'm sorry I kept you waiting, Mr. Stone, but I'm not allowed to leave until the stroke of 11. Mrs. Diggs says you're an actress. Well, I think I'm an actress, but I haven't proven it to anyone else. I thought we could talk for a minute. Shall we walk back to your boarding house? Oh, no. Bad enough to have to sleep there without being there when you don't have to. Yes, I know. I've met Mother Dig. Oh, what about Larry? You said you were a friend of his? Well, it's not exactly accurate. Let's say I'm a fan. I've never met him, but I saw him dance tonight. You saw him dance? Yeah. Didn't you know he went on tonight for Jerome? That they'd offered him the lead in the show? Did they? Oh, did they really? He'd have been on his way to being a star, but he turned it down. Mrs. Diggs said he must have had another offer. Yes, yes, another offer. Oh, I wish I could have seen him. You you say he was, was good, huh? He was magnificent. Oh, I knew he would be. I, I've never seen him dance, but he talked to me about it. And Well, I've talked to him about being an actress. Well, sometimes you just have to talk about it. It's like you're starving, and if you don't talk about it, you'll die. Did Larry feel that way about dancing, I mean? Oh, no. No, but then... Of course, Larry was different than other people. He loved to dance, but he didn't need it, like I need to act. Larry was, well, I, I guess you could say Larry knew where he was going, so he was never afraid of failure or success or, well, anything. Why past tense, Jan? It's like you were saying Larry's gone for good. I'm trying to get used to it. Must be a pretty hot deal he's got. Seems he walked out on everything, even you. He never was in love with me, Mr. Stone. Don't get that idea. And he couldn't help it that I was in love with him. Oh, he talked to me lots of times about it. He, he he tried to get me to go out with other men, but just wasn't any good. Well, I didn't mean to probe, Jan. I'd, I'd like to talk to Larry. Do you know where he went? Yes, I I can take you there. And oh, When you see him, will you give him a message for me? Why don't you give it to him yourself? Oh, no, I'd, I'd be afraid I'd cry. And I, I wouldn't want to do that. All right, Jan. What's the message? Well, tell him... Tell him this afternoon when we said goodbye that 
Well, I said a lot of things I didn't mean. Tell him I'm sorry. Tell him I've thought about it and, and I'm trying to get used to it. Tell him I won't ever forget him. We walked down the street two or three blocks. She didn't look at me again. My mind was churning with the bits and pieces of the jigsaw that was Larry Wilson. I felt the frustration of a jigsaw addict who's searching for that last piece to complete the puzzle. Yet I couldn't ask Jan Dugan any more questions. I didn't have the heart to. Here we are, Mr. Stone. Here? You'll find him in there. She ran into the darkness, and I stood and looked at the gray stone building with its stained glass windows and cross. St. Michael's Church. But it wasn't in front of the church we'd stopped, but at the rectory. I went up the sidewalk and knocked at the door. An elderly priest opened it. Yes? Oh, excuse me, Father. I'm looking for a young man by the name of Larry Wilson. I was told I could find him here. Come in. In here, in my study. It's comfortable here. Thank you. Larry Wilson. Sit down, young man. Sit down. Thank you, Father. And uh, what did you want to see Larry about? Oh, is he here? Yes. He's in the church. No, no, no. No, no. Oh, don't go in. No. Uh, tell me, young man, what do you want to see him about? I want to give him a message. A message now? Yes, from a girl named Jan Dugan. Jan Dugan. And uh, what is the message, if you don't mind telling me? Well, I... I uh... I don't exactly understand it, but I gather that whatever he's going to do is okay with her. Yeah, a good girl, Jan. Um, and is all, that all you came for, young man? Uh, no, not exactly. See, Father, my name is Randy Stone. I'm a newspaper man. Uh, I'm afraid I came out of curiosity. It's a good thing, curiosity, within reason. And what is it you're curious about? Well, I caught a rehearsal tonight uh, of a show. I'd, I saw... Larry Wilson danced. Did you now? And how was the lad? Well, he was brilliant. That's the only word for it. He could have had the lead in the show. He could have become a star. Star? You mean famous like the Kelly boy out in Hollywood? Yeah, yeah. Or a, a stare, a bulge. He's as good as any of them. Ah, it's a great profession. Dancing. Brings joy to the heart of the dancer and it spills joy out over to everybody that watches. And you say Larry was good. That he had what it takes. Oh, that and more. But he ran out. That's what I'm curious about. Why does a dancer, one who can dance like he does, quit when success is right there? No, no, hold it, hold it. Don't go jumping to conclusions, Larry. Larry didn't run out. He made a decision tonight. And I might add a very difficult one. I don't follow you, Father. When a man has a talent, it's a gift from God. He should cherish it and develop it. And then give it to the world. It's a lucky man to have a talent, but Larry... Well, Larry had a problem. You see, he had two talents, and he couldn't follow them both. He had to give one up. The choice had to be from inside. It had to be right. And tonight, he made that choice. What, Father? What other talent? Oh, didn't you know that? Larry's gone to school. He's leaving tonight for the seminary. Seminary? Yes. Larry's going to become a priest. 
the second time, I had no words. I picked up my hat and said thank you and good night. I walked out of the rectory down the sidewalk, and there, waiting for me at the curb, was the blue-armored icebox and the man who could buy anything, Mushy Sindel. Well, Stone, you took your time coming up. How'd you know I was here? I had my boys tell you when you started asking questions about this Larry Wilson. I know you'd track him down. You find him? Yeah, he's in there. Ah, right on a church, huh? What a bum do, cross me and sign up with some other show? Uh, yeah, something like that. I wouldn't go in if I were you, Marcy. I'm afraid he's not available. <laughs> what do you mean, everybody's available? For a price. Well, I don't know. I'll lay you odds you can't buy off his sponsor. He's signed for a long run. No, just watch me operate. He says in there, huh? Yeah. Okay. You coming? No, no, I've, uh, I got a story to write, but... Call me later at the paper, will you, Mushy? Huh? I'd like to get your reaction. People, the city's big commodity. Trying to figure one of them is like trying to figure the races. You call it one way and they run the other. Mushy Sindel, he was easy to figure. He followed a pattern right down the line. But Baby, now there was a twist. Who'd pick her for a frustrated house frog? And Larry Wilson? I'll never see anybody dance again without thinking about him. The boy who made the choice between the glamour and the glory. Copy, boy. Frank Lovejoy is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's transcribed story was written by John and Gwen Bagney, with music by Robert Armbruster. Featured in tonight's cast were Bill Conrad, G.G. Pearson, Shep Minkin, Ruth Parrott, and Victor Rodman. Frank Lovejoy appeared through the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of The Miracle of Our Lady of Fatima. Stay tuned for The Bickersons next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Bickersons. Do you know married couples who do nothing but argue with each other and yet seemingly love each other to death? Well, The Bickersons is a show all about this wedded bliss. The show's married protagonists, portrayed by Donna Michi and Francis Lankford, spent nearly all of their time together in relentless verbal warfare. The Bickersons was created by Philip Rapp, the one-time Eddie Cantor writer who had also created the Fanny Bryce skits for the Ziegfeld Follies of the Air. Dream Time typically opened with Langford singing a big band-style arrangement before Don Amici and Langford would slip into a routine, a little comedy number there, often aided by co-star Danny Thomas in routines that often expressed Amici's frustration that Thomas was more interested in modern technology and discoveries than in women. In fact, Thomas is heavily featured in tonight's show. So the year is 1947, and just a few years from the advent of television, thousands of radio fans were tuning in to hear the latest squabbles involving the Bickersons. And here's the episode entitled, John's New Fishing Pole. 
From Hollywood, it's Dream Time. Ladies and gentlemen, the makers of Dream Shampoo are pleased to present the 16th in a series of new programs produced by Carlton Alsop and starring Don Amici. Let me sleep, will you please, Blanche? Francis Langford. John, I'll go insane if you don't stop that snoring. Danny Thomas. It's a free country. I'm a citizen. And Carmen Dragon and his orchestra. And here is your host for the evening, Don Amici. Gentlemen, and good evening. Hello, Don. Hello, Francis. I've been meaning to tell you something for a long time. When I look at you, I see the brush of Raphael kissing a canvas with your likeness. When I hear you, it's the strains of a Schubert sonata reaching out to caress my ears. And when I'm with you, it's a divine sonnet of love written by Shakespeare. Such a lovely comparison, and so literary. Who can be worthy of such words? The way I really feel about you is beyond words. For instance, just look out of that window. Do you see those two robins on that branch with their beaks together? What do you suppose they're thinking about? Worms. <laughs> Why, Danny, Danny Thomas. Ah, oh, Danny, please. Please, why must you always be so horribly present at the wrong times? Until you came along, I was having a purely intellectual conversation with a charming girl. Look, I happen to be an expert on the subject. I've got plenty of girls, haven't I? You have? Certainly. I even write my diary two weeks in advance. <laughs> that may be so, but right now you're reading my diary over my shoulder. Meaning? It so happens that Francis only goes out with certain persons. Well? Who's certain you're a person? <laughs> Wait, that's a pretty nasty observation. I mean, you must have heard how it was between me and June Haver before we had our big argument and she married somebody else. She must have been pretty mad at you. Mad? She was furious. She married the same guy twice. <laughs> Well, you've made your little speech, now I'll continue mine. As I was about to say, Francis, I wish you'd come over to my house tonight. Oh, I'm on to your game, Don. Trying to cut me out with Francis by discussing high-class subjects. Now, wait just a You're minute. You're nothing but a slick, sneaking, slinking slicker. Now, you can't say I'm a sneaking, slicker, sneaking, slicker, sneaking, slicker. <laughs> Neither can you. <laughs> now, let me tell you something. Now, just a minute. Before you jump to any conclusions, I think you should know that I have found in Francis a kindred spirit, a true connoisseur of art. The reason I invited her over is that I want her opinion on some paintings I hung in my house. Oh, in that case, I'm sorry. All right. You see, Francis, I have a Picasso in my den and a Rembrandt in my living room, and I think the place can take one more painting. It does seem that way. How about something in oil for your dining room? Why don't you get a can of sardines? <laughs> Please don't discuss things above your intellectual level. Don't be so harsh with him, Don. Maybe he does appreciate art. It so happens I do, Don. I saw the paintings in your house, and I liked them. Oh, well, thanks. I especially like the one in your living room, the three musketeers. But tell me, is the fellow in the middle supposed to have a mustache? Well, that's D'Artagnan. Certainly he's supposed to have a mustache. Ooh, I'm terribly sorry. What for? I erased it. <laughs> but I can paint it back oh, on. Oh, there's no use losing my temper. I guess you just can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Oh, wait, I, I wouldn't say that. Remember, Don, when you met me, you won a friend. That ought to teach me not to gamble. Francis, will you sing something to soothe my shattered nerves? Certainly, Don. This can't be love because I feel so well. No sobs, no sorrows, no sighs. 
This can't be love, I get no dizzy spell My head is not in the sky My heart does not stand still Just hear it be This is too sweet to be Love because I feel so well, but still I love to look in your eyes. My heart does not stand still, just hear it be. Toby and Francis, your song was so delightful that I'm not even mad at Danny anymore. I'm glad, Don. You really are a bit impatient with him at times. Well, it's his own fault. If he were only more conversant with the arts, we'd have more in common. He was merely trying to be helpful when he erased that mustache. Oh, it's not just paintings. If he'd read some good literature occasionally, it'd help him socially. Don, not only do I read good literature, I even write it. You can't even write your own name. Hmm. What did you ever write? Well, last week alone, I typed 800 pages in one day. Sent it to the editor of a national magazine. 800 pages in one day? Right. Why, that's fantastic. That's funny. That's what the editor said when he tried to read what I typed. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I don't appreciate good literature. Well, apparently you don't benefit by what you read. It's because of my system. What system? Mm, system. I always read the first few pages of a book. Then I read the last few pages. Then I start in the middle and read towards whichever end I like the best. <laughs> Francis, what were we talking about? Literature. And incidentally, I just read a wonderful book, Swan's Way by Proust. Oh, my uncle read that book. What does that make you? His nephew. <laughs> now, don't you think we should be more tolerant and sympathetic? Perhaps fiction doesn't interest him. He may be stimulated by philosophy. Philosophy, that's a funny thing. You know, Francis, when I was five years old, I came home with a volume of Plato under my arm. Five years? Weren't you a little young for Plato? After all, does a kid know what he's stealing? <laughs> Uh, Danny, may I make a suggestion? Of course. Next time you go to the library, get a book on the rearing of calves and present it to your mother. Yeah. Francis, may I see you for a minute alone? But wait a minute. How do you like that? Walked away from me. Big shot intellect. Thinks he's smarter than me. He's just lucky. He was born with a brain. <laughs> can't even write your name, he says to me. I should have said, I can't do write my name. I should have said, maybe not from memory, but... If you knew more about the arts, we'd have more in common, he says. I should have said, listen, you're a stupid, ignorant baboon, and I'm your equal, I should have said. <laughs> Suppose I'm not as well-read as he is. What does that make me, the schnook in a month? <laughs> I should have said, I should have said, I'll say it. It's a free country, I'm a citizen. Hey, Don, Don. Yeah, 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 Danny, don't get excited, I'm here. I insist that you revise your opinion of me. You're not being fair. I happen to have a reason for not being literary. I'm listening. Well... When I was seven years old, I took little women out of the library. 
was my first book. I've regretted it ever since. Why? Why? Today I'm $6,482 overdue on my library card. (laughs) I'm a slow reader. And that's why I'm convinced that being a patron of the arts is very costly. Danny, Danny, art doesn't have a material side. The great masters were guided by their spirits, not their stomachs. Van Gogh, for instance. He lived in a desolate cabin without plumbing, lights, or ventilation. His roof leaked and his walls were caving in. What would you do if you lived in a place like that? I'd rent it for 500 a month. Oh, <laughs> uh, Danny, why do you always treat serious subjects so lightly? Don, you think I'm intellectually unequipped? Definitely. That I just want to have a comic touch. You try. Don't be surprised to learn that I am hipped. On what? Artistry, philosophy, and such. Mm -hmm. But the greatest bit of philosophy that I know was told to me in Trinidad by my friend Calypso Joe. What did he say? Listen. A joke is a thing that amuses many folks. They have fun. So I will continue to tell my little jokes. Like this one. Mrs. Jones had triplets one day. Two weeks later, she had twins, they say. Don't think that your hearing has been double-crossed. It happens that one of the triplets got lost. Here is a thing that has a comical slant. It appears my uncle has been married to his wife, my aunt. Thirty years, thirty years now, that's a long time. And to me, my uncle is so blind. He says his romancing has never grown dim. If his wife finds out, I know she will kill him. Of course, there is no perfect marriage hmm, that I know in this life. I'll soon be divorced by Mrs. Calypso Joe. That's my wife. She said that she is through with me. And a bachelor is no thing to be. So I'll marry her sister. I'll tell you what for. I don't have to break in a new (laughs) mother-in-law. Her sister and I, we will never, never part. We agree. The day I proposed to her, I was in her heart. Only me. I was feeling so all alone. So I called her on the telephone. I said, will you marry me? It will be bliss. She quickly said, yes, I would love to. Who's this? Our glamorous dream girl, Frances Langford, joins Carmen Dragon and his orchestra as she sings Night and Day. Like the beat, beat, beat of 
tom-tom When the jungle shadows fall Like the tick-tick-tock of the stately clock As it stands against the wall Like the drip-drip-drip of the raindrops When the summer shower is through So a voice within me and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson with Danny Thomas as Brother Amos in The Honeymoon is Over, written by Phil Rapp. The Bickersons have retired. Mrs. Bickerson lies tense and silent in the darkness while poor husband John, insomniac extraordinary, engages in another grueling bout with the dread affliction that borders on madness. Lethargica profundus. Listen. Listen, man. 
Nobody would believe what I go through every night of my life. I lie awake for hours listening to that groaning and grunting and whining and giggling and snoring and snarling. I'm sick of it, John. Yeah, me too. Who's doing it, Blanche? <laughs> Must be that new tenor. You're doing it. And you haven't missed a single night since we got married. Missed what? Snoring. It's unbelievable. I don't believe it. Good night, Blanche. Good night, nothing. Why doesn't somebody invent something to wake a person up when they start to snore? They don't have to invent it. I married it. <laughs> Very funny. Oh, you're so funny, John Bickerson. Well, you're not going to enjoy yourself while I suffer. Get out of that silly position and sleep like a normal human being. What difference does it make to you what position I'm in? It makes a lot of difference. You can't possibly breathe, right, the way you're all wound up. Ugh. You've got one knee up under, against your chin and, and your head is under the pillow and one foot's hanging out of the bed. Ooh. Go on, put that foot where it belongs. If I did, you wouldn't sit down for a week. <laughs> That's right, threaten me. A lot you care that I'm on the verge of a nervous breakdown. My face is full of lines. I've got dark circles under my eyes. My cheeks are hollow. I look worse than an old witch. It's true, isn't it? I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Why not, John? I'd be awake for the rest of the night. You do think it's true, though, don't you? What's true? I look worse than an old witch. You don't look worse than an old witch. <laughs> Why do you emphasize worse? All right, you don't look worse than an old witch. That sounds even more horrible. Oh, Blanche, why don't you just relax and go to sleep? Stop worrying about how you look. Every woman worries about how she looks. I suppose you know I spend half my allowance in the beauty parlor. I'll have to raise your allowance. <laughs> Put out the lights, will you? I'm so sick, I don't think I'll live another month. What's the matter with you now? I get terrible dizzy spells and palpitation of the heart. Every few minutes, I get a burning sensation, and I think I'm going to dry up. You say it, but you won't do it. I'm sick. I know I'm at death's door. Well, go see Dr. Marvin. He'll pull you through. How can you lie there and watch me writhe in agony? Right now, my pulse is going like a trip hammer. Oh, let me see. Oh, there's nothing wrong with your pulse. It's steady as clockwork. You've got your fingers on my wristwatch. What time is it? It's half past three. Oh, John, I know I'm going to die. Oh, you're not going to die. Every single time I get a premonition, it comes true. And I've had this dying premonition a half dozen times. Well, it didn't come true, did it? Don't yell at me. Send for the doctor. Oh, you don't need the doctor. I'll handle it. Where's the bourbon? Bourbon? I don't want any bourbon. Now, will you let me help you or not? I've got the greatest cure in the world for your condition. All you have to do is poach two eggs in bourbon. I won't eat eggs poached in bourbon. You don't eat the eggs. You drink the gravy. <laughs> don't you dare fix me any of your hideous remedies. All you want to do is finish me off. Well, if you don't want me to help you, stop complaining. You wouldn't talk that way to Gloria Gooseby. Oh, now don't start with Gloria Gooseby. All she has to do is sneeze, and you run up and down looking like Dr. Kildare. The day she fainted from the heat, you were busy rubbing her ankles. Well, you always rub a person's extremities when they faint. Well, you didn't have to be so extreme. <laughs> Why didn't you rub her hands? Leah was rubbing her hands. I can't understand what you see in that hussy. I hate her and you know it. It's those tight slacks she wears. When she walks into a room, her eyes pop out further than yours. Nobody's eyes pop out. <laughs> I mean, my eyes don't pop out at all. If you don't quit hopping on Gloria Goosby, I swear... Go on, I, hit me. You've done everything else. Uh, Sick as I am, maybe I'll have to have an operation. An ambulance will come in the middle of the night and take me away. An emergency. There's no emergency. I might even die on the table. 
And if I do live, I'll lie there in the hospital in a charity ward. Nobody to visit me, no calls. Lance. Why don't you send some flowers, John? <laughs> Why don't you stop blowing your top? You're no sicker than I am. You're just putting on this act to keep me awake, aren't you? Now tell me the truth. So impossible that I might have an operation? Well, what of it? Thousands of people have operations. It's nothing to be afraid of. You wouldn't hear me squawking like that. Not much. You had to take either to have glasses fitted. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very sensitive around the eyes. That is because I don't sleep enough. Oh, Blanche, why don't you put out the light? <laughs> All right, John. You'd have been asleep a long time ago if you hadn't been for your snoring. Well, can I help it if I snore? Yes, you can. Dr. Marvin says there's something wrong with your pharynx. You have a very long uvular, and it flutters against your palate. Why don't you let him fix it? Okay, I'll have it fixed next week. You say it, but you won't do it. Let him fix it now. What? Go on, get up and let him pull out your palate. Lance, are you out of your mind? Do you think I'm going to let that broken-down doctor hack at my palate? He doesn't hack. He snips. I don't care if he shoots it off with a twenty-two. <laughs> Nobody's going to fool around with my palate. <laughs> well, you're going to have to do something, as it is neither of us get any sleep. Well, why don't you have him file your ears off? <laughs> well, I've never heard of such a thing. I wouldn't argue at all if you'd just be nice for a minute. You married me because you loved me, didn't you, John? Mm. Wasn't because I had little money, was it? No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and even if we had our lives to live over again, you wouldn't marry me for my money, would you, John? I wouldn't marry you for all the money in the world. <laughs> See, there you go, starting all over oh, again. Blanche, I'm so sleepy, I don't know what I'm saying. Talk to me in the morning. You said you're going fishing in the morning. Who are you going with? With my boss. Why don't you take my brother Amos along? We're going trout fishing. We don't need any worms. Don't be so smart. Tomorrow you'll wish you had him with you. I assure you, I'll enjoy my fishing without Amos. Can't fish without a fishing pole. Well, I got a fishing pole. I bought a brand new one yesterday. I lent it to Amos. Well, that's fine. Then he'll be able... What? Amos borrowed your fishing pole. Oh, Blanche, Blanche, he didn't. You wouldn't let that sponging weasel take my brand new rod before he even had a chance to use it. He'll ruin it. He doesn't know how to fish. He isn't going to fish with it. His sink got stopped up and he wanted to clean the drain out. Clean the drain out? That chiseling thief is using my $50 rod for a plunger? It won't hurt it. You never catch any fish anyway. I always catch fish. I caught them last time, didn't I? Didn't I? You know darn well I brought home three bass and one smell. They all smell. <laughs> Go to sleep, she says. My whole life is ruined. Cleaning drains with my $50 rods. What's the matter with a piece of wire? Go to sleep, she tells me. I'll never sleep another wink as long. (laughs) Hello. The phone's dead. It's leaking. Put down that bottle of fur. Peaceful rest home. Brother, have you got a wrong number? Jacko, this is Amos. Amos? Amos, where is my trout rod? Have you got any glue, Jacko? Who? Oh, Amos, you broke it. You broke my new rod. I've never had a broken rod in my life. Well, don't cry, Jacko. You got one now. It was too long anyway. Why did 
can't just do what the rod cost me fifty dollars. It's the finest rod me. Ah, cheap stuff. It snapped before I got it halfway down the drain. <laughs> I'll give you the money back, Jocko. I got it right here. Where would you get fifty dollars? I sold the rest of your tackle. Whoa. Good night, Jocko. That's the end of the world. Let me get back to bed before I explode. Oh, John! John, you didn't break the vase, did you? No, but I'll be hanged if I'm not going to now. John, that vase is a family heirloom. It's been handed down from generation to generation. Well, this is the last generation. Good night, Blanche. Toby Reed reminding you, never before dreamed, yes, never before dreamed could any shampoo reveal 100% of the natural luster of your hair. Listen next Sunday for another pleasant half hour with Don Amici, Danny Thomas, Francis Langford, Carmen Dragon and his orchestra. And now here is Don Amici reminding you there's still time to give and give gladly to the 1947 Red Cross Fund and wishing you good days, good nights and good luck until we meet again. Amici will soon be seen in the Republic picture, That's My Man. Danny Thomas appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the new musical, It Happened in Brooklyn. Danny Thomas's song was written by Jerry Seelan, with special music by Carmen Dragon. Why isn't there more soap? Because adequate supplies of soap, fabrics, medicines, and many products can't be made without more fats than are available today. And that's why everyone is urged to save every drop of kitchen fats, every day. The need is urgent... The reason's sound. And dealers now pay more per pound. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week when I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.